So uh, we're in a series called Messy Church, and uh, not only, if, you, if you're watching online, you probably don't know it, but sitting in this room, it's a mess in here. You should have seen the place yesterday. It was a complete disaster. And here's, here's a great hack from now on. When you come in, bring a towel with you. You can just put the towel over your chair, sit on it, and you won't get uh, drywall dust all over your backside and, and keep your clothes looking all nice. But not only uh, is this building a mess, but when you look at the early church, and you look at that first generation of Jesus followers, man, we like to look at all the great things that happened and how the church exponentially grew. But as we read through the accounts of that first church, we find that it really was messy. And uh, there were a lot of conflicts and a lot of issues that were going on in that first church. And so what we want to do is we want to look at Acts chapter 6 together. So I'm going to give you a chance to turn to Acts chapter 6. Let me set this up and give you an idea of where this falls in the Bible. So we're looking uh, at a book that is after the Gospels, after the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Those Gospels are all accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry and his teachings and his miracles. And ultimately, all four Gospels point to the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And then we get to the book of Acts. And Acts begins with Jesus ascending to the Father. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And the whole rest of the book is about the first 30 years of the church. And it's really about the actions that occurred. And it's important to note that, um, and maybe this is a newsflash for some of you in this room, that Jesus was a Jew. Did you know that? All the disciples were Jews. For the first 30 years of the church, a huge majority of the church were Jews. And we're going to do something, this wasn't in my notes, but it's something that God powerfully spoke to me in the first service during worship. Um, you know, since the beginning of time, Satan has attacked the people of Israel, the people of God. Uh, if you go, if you, any search engines right now will tell you that anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic rhetoric is on the rise in an exponential way. We're not just talking about a little bit. It is pervasive and it's, it's, start, it's uh, emerging again in Europe and all throughout the world. And uh, Satan wants to snuff out the people of God. He always has. And uh, if you read through scripture, you'll find it's very clear in scripture that the people of God are to support the peace of Jerusalem and to support the peace of Israel. And we live in scary times, and we live in, in times that politically things can get confusing. And I'm not saying that we support every decision that every leader of Israel has made or every prime minister of Israel has made. But we are to stand with the people of God. We are to stand with the people of Israel. And we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we are to pray for the salvation of the Jews. That they would come to the place of recognizing Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. And so we're going to take a moment right now because of the events that are going on in our world currently. The things that are being uh, done in that area of our world. And specifically in the city of Jerusalem itself. Uh, let's do that as a community right now and pray. I know this is off script and it's not in the notes. But I really feel led by the Spirit to, to move in this direction. Father, uh, we do lift up to you, your people. And we know that there is blessing for us when we support your people. And so we pray for several things. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for wisdom and revelation knowledge for the leaders of Israel, for those that would maybe even stand in opposition God, we pray for the leaders of our country, our president and vice president and congressional leaders and military leaders. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that they would be led by you, that they would have your mind. We pray for justice and we pray for revelation knowledge in this situation. 
God, we pray that you would bring those things that have been exposed, those things that are secret, and that you would bring them to the surface in this matter. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So that really is germane to what we're talking about, the fact of Jerusalem. And, and what we have happening early on in the church is as the church is growing and rapidly multiplying, the problems are also growing and rapidly multiplying. And so hopefully I've given you enough time that you've been able to find uh, Acts chapter 6 in your Bibles. We're going to start with verse 1. It starts with the good news. The good news is the believers are rapidly multiplying. It says, as the believers rapidly multiplied, and then here we have the bad news, there were rumblings of discontent. Oh no, what's going on? Well, it tells us. It says the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So let's just pause there and kind of bring everybody up to speed. Maybe you didn't know this, but what's going on in Jerusalem is you have two different groups of Jews. You have the Hebrew-speaking Jews that were born and raised in Jerusalem. This is their home. They know the place. And then you have the immigrant Jews that are coming back to Jerusalem for whatever reason. They're coming from other nations that they've lived in, and they're relocating back in the place of their origin. And so in the church, the church was busy serving One of the tenets of the church was to serve. And so they would serve widows in particular. And you have a group of of people saying, these immigrant Greek-speaking Jews are saying, hey, we've noticed that our widows are not being served with the same level of love and compassion as the Hebrew-speaking widows. This is a problem. Something needs to be done about this. You need to address this. And I'll tell you right now, I love Luke's honesty about even bringing this to the forefront. This is one of the reasons people say, I don't believe in the Bible, I believe it's man-made, I believe it's man-written, and I'll say, you know what, the Bible really does portray a lot of the problems. If this was was written by a bunch of people who had an agenda, don't you think they would leave these things out? But it's a truthful record, it's a truthful account of what's going on, and so there's concern about this. You've heard me say this in the series, or if you're new to Journey, maybe you've never heard this, but this is something whether you believe in the Bible or you believe in Jesus or not, growth is always messy. Harvest is always messy. Ask any farmer in this church or in this community, and they will tell you, harvest is messy. Growth is messy. We know that from experience. I remember, you know, when I was a a single young man in my early 20s and just how I had life figured out. I mean, life was easy. Life was repetitious. I mean, I had life by the horns, and then I did something so crazy, I got married. (laughs) And marriage results in messiness. Okay, because I'm now married to someone who doesn't see life the same way that I see them. I mean, we're talking about the very important aspects of life. Like when you sit down to do your business in the bathroom and the toilet paper roll is the wrong way. That's messy, right? You go to brush your teeth and you look at the tube of toothpaste and you're like, what kind of uncivilized person did I marry? Like, don't we all, aren't we all OCD? Don't we all know that you squeeze that toothpaste and you roll up the end of the tube of toothpaste, right? Anybody with me? Come on, right? And so you get married and marriage is messy because you're bringing another person into the equation. And then we had a baby. (laughs) Oh my goodness, are babies ever messy? 
And I mean, beyond the obvious, beyond the diapers and all the crude humor that we could offer there, I mean, babies are messy. And then we did the unthinkable, and God blessed us, and several years later, we now have three babies. And you know, you go from man-to-man defense to zone defense, and you don't even know like half the time what you're doing. You had triplets. I don't know how you did that. And I look at the Pippins. They have four kids. And how, how do you, I mean, it's messy, right? Growth is always messy, I've got a friend who works for a company, and, and in the last couple of years, their company has been very successful and, and has been able to grow, and, but part of that growth has been messiness. Growth is always messy, and whenever you have two or three Christians gathered together in Jesus' name, we have the promise that he is in their midst, but we also have the reassurance from Scripture that there will be messes as well. If you've been looking for the perfect church, I've always, you know, shudder when someone comes up to me after a service and they say, I've been looking for a church, and Pastor Ken, I just want you to know that I, I have found the perfect church here at Journey Church. I've had people say that, and I, ch- I chuckle out loud, like, this is not a perfect church. Well, where is the perfect church? As soon as you find it, you will ruin their perfection, Right? <laughs> Because we're a group here at Journey Church, we're a group of broken people, and we don't get it all right, and we don't have perfect knowledge, and we don't understand things right, and we, we have different personalities, and we try to interact together, and anytime two or three are gathered together, Jesus is there, but there's also the promise of messiness. And so what do we do when we face these messes? What do these apostles do when it's brought to their attention? Hey, you got a group of widows that aren't being cared for on the same level as this other group of widows. Like, you guys need to do something about it. What do you do when you're exposed to the messiness of life in your school? For those of you in middle school or high school, or maybe you're a teacher in a school, in your place of employment, in your home, like what do you do when you experience the messiness of life? I, I would submit to you that the first thing that you need to do, is this really a prayer, is you need to look up and say, God, how do you want me to view this mess? God, how do you want me to view this mess? Like I want to see this mess the way that you want me to see this mess. And this is so important. Because if you're like me, like, like, I mean, if I'm one of these 12 apostles and someone comes up to me after church and they say, hey, I don't think that our group of widows are being cared for the same way as other groups. You know what? My, my temptation would be to become defensive. My temptation would be, well, you need to stop looking for problems and start looking for solutions. You know, my, 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 that would be my tendency. That would be my bent. Some of you are like, I didn't know you were that insecure. I, we're all insecure, right? We all, we all have issues. We're all broken. But what I love about the apostles is that, that instantly they're starting to go, okay, God, how do you want us to view this? This is messy. We, we, we didn't learn in seminary how to deal with these problems. We didn't learn in school how to address these things. God, this is messy. And so, God, how do you want us to view this? It says in verse 2, so the 12... And let me just pause right there because some of you are going, wait, 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 Ken. If this is after Jesus' death and his resurrection and after his ascension, and this is now several months into it, there weren't 12, Ken. I was in Sunday school. I was in VBS, and I remember that one of them hung himself, and so there's only 11. Well, back in Acts chapter 1, they played a game of Yahtzee to figure out who would be the 12th, and they added in Matthias, and so now we're back to 12, right? So, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, and it First, I'm going to admit this sounds a little snarky, okay, but we'll explain why. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Okay, I got to admit, right, doesn't that at first you'd be like, whoa, aren't you guys like the stuff? 
Like, wow, I mean, we should have rolled out the red carpet when you guys walked in. Like, you're too big to run a food program. You're just going to spend all of your time teaching the word of God and praying. Well, here, here, let me give the backstory. These 12 men, even Matthias, when they looked for who to replace Judas, even Matthias, these were all individuals who had been with Jesus for the three years that he taught and he ministered and he healed and, and, and he gave explanations to the kingdom of God. And so it is vital that they realize their function. I mean, they could have very easily gotten deep into the weeds, and this first generation, these people who had been with Jesus, we wouldn't have the record. We wouldn't have the accounts of what Jesus had said and done. So it was vital that they recognized their calling, that they recognized their function. And so they're not being snobbish. They're not being snarky. They're saying, we recognize the role that God has for us, the function that God has given to us, and we recognize that, that we could try to multitask, and we could try to, ha- try to figure this out, and try to figure out how to get up earlier in the day, or how to you know, stay longer, but that, this isn't the task that God has for us. And so verse 3, here's the solution. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, who are full of the Spirit, and who are full of wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. We, we will hand the authority that God has given us in this area, and we will give them this authority, and now they can run, and they'll probably run further, and they'll probably run farther with us. And then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Here, here's what I submit to you. When, you're, when you face a mess at school, at work, in your home, whatever, first is going, God, how do you want me to view this mess? Here's the second thing. God, how do you want me to respond to this mess? It's so vital. How do you want me to respond to this mess? Can I tell you, we all have a responsibility when it comes to messes. And we live in a culture where nobody wants, everybody wants to point out the problems. Just go on social media. Everyone can see the problems But rare are the people who will say, I see the mess, and I'm going to do something about the mess. I recognize I have a responsibility. If you're a middle school student and there's a mess going down in your middle school, I would submit to you, you need to start asking God, God, how do you want me to view this mess? And God, how do you want me to respond? What is the answer? How can I be a change agent in this situation? Those of you in work, some of you right now are facing, there's a mess at work. And it'd be real easy to just pretend that it's not there. It'd be real easy to get defensive. It would be real easy to play the blame game. But to ask God, God, it's an obvious mess. How do you want me to view this? How do you want me to respond to this? Like, what do you want me to do? And I love that these apostles recognize they viewed it the way that God wanted them. Instead of getting defensive, instead of getting upset, instead of taking this personally, like they recognize it. But then they say, God, how do you want us to respond They were confident in the function that God had given them. They knew who they were, and they knew that this need could distract them from the calling that God had for them. So my question is, do you know your function? God has given you a function. You know, we we look at smart technology, and some of you have smartphones in your pocket, or maybe you're actually reading God's Word right now from a smartphone, and we look at that and we go, man, the technology. You know, there's there's greater technology in that device than there were in the computers that sent men to the moon back in 1969, like like the technology that we have. But you know what? That, That device that is sitting right in front of you, it has a function. And the minute that it stops performing its function, it's of no use to you, right? Like, it's, you'll, you'll try to go to, a, to your cell phone store and see if they can fix it. If they can't fix it, like, once it stops performing its function, you might as well throw it away. Can I tell you, you are far greater. 
You are a technological marvel. God has created you. He loves you. He's gifted you. The personality that you have is because of his choosing. He's, he's allowed you educational opportunities, and some of you have gone through experiences, and all of that is because God has a function for you. You're a marvel. You're a masterpiece. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a masterpiece. You didn't have to roll your eyes when you said that, all right? Like, <laughs> you're a masterpiece. You have a function. And, and here's the thing. These men were so wise. These 12 apostles were so wise because they recognized that in their community of believers, God had positioned, God had placed in their community people who had the expertise to go so much further and farther than they could have. Think about, think about the logistics and feeding widows across the city of Jerusalem. Think about, you needed people who understood transportation. You needed people who understood purchasing. You needed people who understood how to prepare these meals and cook these meals. Like, you needed people who had a vast array of experience. And so they recognized, hey, we could try to do this all on our own, but we wouldn't be nearly as fruitful. And God has placed people in our midst who have these abilities and not only that, but think about that those people that God had gifted, that God had given the personality, that God had given the experiences, think of how they would have missed out, how they wouldn't have had the opportunity. See, when everybody gets in the game performing our God-given function, all the important needs are met. Nobody is neglected, and nobody falls between the cracks. And so look at what they do in verse 5. Everybody liked this idea, and so they chose the following— and you're going to see seven names here. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Now here's something. If you look through the list of names, you know, if you're like me, I read the Bible. When I see a list of names, I kind of just like... I kind of like float right over those names, you know, you're like, I'm not going to try to pronounce those, I'm not going to, like, what, it's just a list of names, right? But every once in a while in the Bible, like, there's, if you dig down and research names, you'll find there's incredible significance. You want to know something so powerful about this list of seven names? All seven of these individuals were immigrant Greek-speaking Jews, you didn't get it. So here's the deal. You got a majority group of people who are Hebrew-speaking Jews, born and raised in Jerusalem, and when they have the opportunity to select seven for the purpose of serving the widows, they looked outside of themselves and they said, you know what, we need to humble ourselves and look for some people who are not like us. And they picked seven Greek-speaking immigrant Jews to fulfill the need that was there. I love that the early church were secure enough in their identity that they were willing to select people who talked differently and who had different families of origin. That's just a sidebar, but it's something we would do well to, to pay attention to, right? And what was the result? Verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Isn't that amazing? Like, what is the result? Like, the, the, the move of God continues to spread. And I will tell you that there's another thing that results, and as you read through the book of Acts, you will see this, and so I'll just give you kind of a heads up, and, and as you keep reading in Acts, you'll see for sure. But of these seven men, you don't really, you could look at this and say, well, this task of feeding widows, you know, it really wasn't that big of a deal, right? 
But these were seven individuals who dove into that and said, you know what? You've selected me. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to give it my all. And of these seven, two in particular, this became the beginning, a point, and a pathway of serving God and being used by God in huge, phenomenal, awesome ways. Ever heard of Stephen? Some of you probably went to a preschool named after St. Stephen, or you've gone to a school, or you've gone to a church named after Stephen, St. Stephen. Like, Stephen became hugely consequential in the rest of the book of Acts, became the first martyr in the book of Acts. He was a guy who God used in powerful, powerful ways. But he started by being selected to help feed some widows. Philip Just look out for the name of Philip as you read through the book of Acts. And you'll see that Philip, again, is a man who God uses in supernatural ways. God uses him in miraculous ways, powerful ways. You think about the beginning was a problem. The beginning was a mess. The problem was we got some people who aren't being fed. Like, we need some help. And out of this, not only are the widows ministered to and their needs are met, but out of this, a whole generation of new leaders emerge. And new leaders are raised up. And it's powerful. I tell you, one of the roadblocks to serving sometimes is either I look at a task, I look at an opportunity, and I go, it's too hard, or I look at a task and I go, it's too easy. (laughs) Like either I look at it and I go, it's too hard, I can't, or I look at it, it's too easy, and I think that I'm above it, and I go, I won't. But I love that these men said, you know what, we'll dive into this. We'll see what needs to be done, and, and we'll do our part. And I think about, you know, uh, you know, the best way maybe to illustrate this is to think about, you know, we have these buckets. And some of you this whole sermon have been wondering, what in the world is with these buckets? Is this like a Lowe's commercial, or like what, what is the deal here? And, and you think about it like, like a church, you know, we, God has called us as a church to not just be about ourselves. We have said from the very beginning that we don't want to be a church that is all about us. We want to be a church that is serving our community. And man, we try our best to serve our community. We give away shoes. We give away Easter baskets. We send mentors to the local elementary school and local middle school. And we, we just, we, anyway, if someone comes to us and says, hey, can you serve? We, we try to say yes as fast as we can. But you know what? When you look at the serving opportunities, you look at all the different opportunities that are put in front of us. Ministry to children and to middle school students and high school students. And and you look at ministry to low-income people in our community or ministry to... And you, you, you look at it and you go, man, there's just so many buckets. In one church, man, we, we can try. But sometimes it's difficult, especially when it's just a few people doing the work. You know, when our church was, we'll put up a couple pictures up here. You know, 14 years ago, our church was one service, and we were so excited if 30 people showed up, right? And so that, this, this is actually from the holiday, it was the Holiday Inn, and this was one of our first, I think maybe our second, our first or our second service that we did over at the Holiday Inn, and literally, I think there was like six people there. <laughs> and afterward, we were rejoicing, we were like, six people! Because we didn't know anybody. Carrie and I moved here from Pittsburgh, and we didn't know anybody in Fremont or Clyde. And so, and so at one point, we graduated, and now we're meeting at the Pig Farm Church. That's what we affectionately called that. And uh, how many of you ever worshipped with us in the Pig Farm Church, right? Why do we call it that? Because it smelled, right? The pig farm was literally across the street from there. And so, and so again, like you, the first, you know, first couple of years, like, man, if we had 30 people there, it was like absolutely incredible. And, and, and as time's gone by, you look around and you know what? We've grown, but it's also gotten messier. 
And I think one of the other problems as we've grown as a church is sometimes, you know, when we were 30 people, you would look around and you'd say, hey, we've got an opportunity to, to do this to the community. And everyone would look around and they'd go, well, if I don't show up, it's just going to be Pastor Ken and Carrie. So I better be there, right? But here's a psychological thing that happens as a church gets bigger. You hear about a need and you look around and you go, well, look at all these people. Somebody's going to show up, right? Somebody's going to do it, right? And sometimes I think a larger church actually does way less serving and ministry from a comparable perspective than a smaller church. Because we all have this mentality of, well, somebody else will do it. And I'm busy. Because we are. I'm busy and you're busy and the person sitting next to you is busy. We are all absolutely busy. No doubt about it, we're busy. Here's where I would, I would push you a little bit, is what are you busy doing? What are you busy doing? There's two things that are going to last forever. The word of God, Isaiah 40, verse 8, and the souls of men. Those are the only two things that are going to last forever, the word of God and the souls of men. Are we busy doing things that are about the kingdom of God that are going to last? Are we doing things that are really about our comfort, maybe our security, maybe our getting ahead? I'm not, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip, but I think it's important to push us a little bit and just asking, like, how, how are we doing with this? So, so you look at this and you go, you know, it'd be like me trying to fill four different buckets, you know, with, with one hose. Aaron had promised me that I wouldn't use the word hose in our church service, and so, and I just did. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so I've got some volunteers and I'm going to ask my volunteers to come on up. And there is something extraordinary that happens. Yeah, your pastor's weird. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead and come on up. There's a step over on this side, so go ahead and come on up. So this is a splitter, right? And so what, hap what can happen when... What's up, Kaya? How are you doing? Good. Everybody say hi to Kaya. Hi. She's, she's awesome. <laughs> you don't believe that, huh? You're afraid. Yeah. <laughs> you're afraid you're going to get what? You're not, you're not going to get wet. And then we have Hunter. Come on over here, Hunter. You got the right end? I'll let you go ahead and screw that in. And so, so what, hap what, what happens when, when we begin to connect with each other? You know, one, one person, you know, trying to fill up the buckets, you know, it's difficult. And then, Chris, you want to come on up here? We're going to take, yeah, you got the right. See? Chris is on top of it. This is my friend Chris. Everybody say hi to Chris. Chris is a prayer warrior. We have a group, we have a fantastic group of at least a dozen people who gather every Wednesday from 11 a.m. to noon, and we pray over this church, and Chris is one, of, she's just here faithfully. Lee, everybody say hey to Lee, because I don't need, if I miss up. I didn't have everyone say hey to Hunter. So there's Hunter. If I don't do this, one person gets left out, and then, you know, the devil gets in their head, and then, well, they didn't say hi to me, so... I know how we all think about these things, right? And so what would happen, this is going to be really awkward. Do we have, I don't know how we do in this. I want you to try to put your, the end into one of these buckets. Pastor Aaron, stop laughing. <laughs> is this a game of Twister? Here, there you go. I'm going to hold it. Lee's help, we're all working together. We're going to do, so what happened? Now, let's go ahead and turn on the water, and now we're able to do so much more, right? We got some water coming out of there. I got, see, and so it's messy. This is all part of the deal. It's, it's messy. And there's, you got a, you got bends and, yeah, okay. So you guys got the idea, right? Okay. 
It was a really good idea when we talked about this this week. All right, so we're going to go ahead and turn it off. Here, I'll turn that off. Can you guys give them a great big hand? They, they were... Yeah, I'll take it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think it's all turned off. There goes that. All right. You guys could just leave it on the ground there. Thank you, guys. Can you give them a hand again? Here's what I want you to get. When spirit-filled men and women embrace the messy and organize ourselves to accomplish a mission, multiplication is the result. When we're willing, we see the messy and we say, you know what? God has shown me that I need to be a part of this. He's given me a correct view of what's going on. He's shown me what my response needs to be. And when we embrace the messy and we organize ourselves around the mission, and together we link arms, and multiplication is a result. And you say, well, why? Because we have a community that doesn't know Jesus. You have friends and family members who don't know Jesus. We live next to people who are lost, and they don't know Jesus. And it's our responsibility to tell them. And how do we do that? Man, it used to be in the days that you could go door to door, and you could knock on doors, and you could preach to God. I'm telling you, you we, increasingly the church has to earn the right to be heard. Increasingly, we have to find ways to surprise people with God's love, to show them that we're willing to, to embrace the messy and to dig in and to do what nobody else will do. And then we earn the right, and people will lean in and hear what we have to say. And they'll hear the message of a God who so loves the world that he sent his son. He sent his son not just to walk around proclaiming, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But he loved the world so much that his son came and he died on a cross. And on that cross, he took upon himself the punishment that we all deserve. Nobody in this room can go, well, I don't deserve that punishment. Yes, we have all sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. God loves us so much that he sends his son so this son would take upon himself the punishment that we deserve. And we respond to his grace and believe in him and say, come, forgive me of my sins. Be the master and leader of my life. As a church, you know what we're trying to do? We're just trying to communicate that message. We're just trying to take this message to the people around us. And so I wanted to, this morning, just let you know, this is just your path. And if you're, if you're a guest here, you can just chill out and just relax. I'm not going to, but if you're a part of Journey Church, this is your church, you belong here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really push you a little bit this morning to ask the question, how are you involved at Journey Church? We got some uh, partners who are going to be passing around some volunteer opportunities. And if you've been around Journey, we've done this in the past, and we would, you know, have, do we have people that are doing that in the service? Okay, go ahead. You can stand up and start doing that right now. If you're one, I I'm looking at Pastor Aaron. Uh, someone's doing it. So uh, as, you get these, as you get these cards, what you'll find is we don't have 20 or 30 opportunities on here. We have, we have just, just a few. And, and uh, give you a chance to get those around. Thank you, guys. As you, as you look at that sheet, what you'll see is really, as our pastors got together over the last couple of weeks, we just said, hey, as we're about to move into this new building, and by the way, regarding this new building, you want to be here next week, okay? Next week is going to be a, I can't tell you what's going to be going down, but next week is one of those Sundays that you're going to, we're going to be talking about for a long time, and so um, 
we'll still be in here, so don't think that we're going to be in there next week. But just, well, maybe kind of. Well, you'll have to come next week. So uh, next week is just going to be one of those Sundays we'll look back at and we'll go, man, I remember being there. I was part of that service. But, but as we look forward to moving into the new worship center and as we look forward to moving our kids into this new student center, we're, we're going to have more classrooms. We're going to be able to divide the kids up so that, you know, we have different age groups. And what we found is, okay, there's several areas where we really desperately, this isn't, this isn't us being overdramatic. These are areas where we really need some people to help. And here's the, here's the reality is with COVID, we, we, it, even when we came back to meeting in person, we lost over half of our volunteers said, you know what, I just can't volunteer at this time. And so what we're asking is maybe, maybe you stepped out of ministry during that season. What we're asking is for you to step in or step up. Some of you have just started coming to Journey and maybe over the last couple of weeks or over the last couple of months. And, and so you've just been trying to kick the tires and figure out if this is even the church you want to belong to and how much heresy can come out of a guy's mouth who's preaching up from the, and you're just trying to gauge like, is this biblical? Like, or, or, is this a place I want to be? And maybe you come to the conclusion, hey, this is my church. I believe in this place. I, this is my church. This isn't just Pastor Ken's church. This is my church. Here's, here's what we would ask you to do. If you would look through this list and just say, hey, I could serve in this area. We have uh, kids, and, and they're broken down by age categories, nursery babies, nursery toddlers, journey kids junior, journey kids, and then several other serving teams that are really necessary for what we do, particularly on Sunday mornings. By the way, this isn't an exhaustive list of all of our ministries. We, we do a lot around here, but these are the ministries that we're going to need, especially as we move into the new worship center. By the way, if you're watching online, we have a link that you can do this digitally, and, and on your platform, someone ha hopefully has shared that link by now. But the other serving teams are a safety team. And so as our church grows larger, there's more opportunities. You know, several weeks ago, there was national news of a church where a parent who didn't have custody of a child came in and, and took the child. And it made national news. We have a safety team in place to make sure that we, the, the greatest um, uh, asset that we have as a church is our kids. And we have a charge to protect our kids and to make sure that when they come in this place, that this is a safe place for them. And so, so we have a safety team, and we need lots of help with that. The greeting team, there's going to be new people walking through. This will be the new entrance, and they'll be walking through these doors, and they won't know where to go or what to do or how this place works. We're going to need greeters who just have the sensitivity to see that look in someone's eyes and be able to say, hey, can I help you? Can I help? Oh, you need to know where the kids check in. I'll, I'll help you with that. You need to know where this, okay, I'll help you with that. We're, we're going to need a media team members, and already we need that. And so if you're the kind of person who you would like to be all by yourself in a dark room and not have to talk to other people, and you like computers, like this, I'll be, this is really a great ministry, and it's effective, and there's so many people that are being ministered to because of our media team. And so there's camera switchers and sound mixing and all that. Or maybe you say, Ken, I'm, I'm already on a monthly serving team, and you can check that box. But what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to give you a few moments to pray over this. You say, well, wait a second, you're, you're not going to let me spend, like, a lot of time praying over this? I, I found that if we say, hey, take a week and pray about it, most people don't really. And this gets lost in your car, and you never bring it back to church. So we believe that God can speak to you in a moment, just as much as he can speak to you over a period of seven days. And so I'm going to ask you, we're going to give you a moment just, just to quietly look at this list. And I want you to, I'm going to pray over you in a second, but I want you to take a, a few moments just to say, God, it, should I be a part of the messiness of this place? 
Do I have a responsibility? Is there a way that I can properly respond to what's going on? Can I be a part of the gospel being declared and communicated in this community? And I'll tell you this. Sometimes we look at these kind of lists and we go, well, that's not that big of a deal. Like, Ken, don't you know my educational level? Don't you know my experience? Like, you want me to do this? Like, that's beneath me. And can I just say, you know, for these guys who are serving widows, they probably could have said that. You know, this is beneath me. But they started where God put them. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Is I didn't come out of the womb a senior pastor of a church. I know it's shocking. But, you know, for me, ministry began for me, and I love that we have middle school students in this room. Ministry for me began as a middle school student in our churches on Sunday mornings. We had kids' church, and part of kids' church was a, an environment that was for preschoolers. And I see Vicki Robick and some others back there that were part of that ministry. And, and, and so I got to be, as a junior high student, I got to be a helper in our preschool. And I was there every Sunday. I would go back there, and I took it seriously, and there was things that I had to do ahead of time, and there was puppet skits that we would memorize. And, and man, I took that so seriously. And then when I was in high school, I got to graduate into our kids' ministry. And I got to serve alongside some just incredible people, some who are with Jesus right now. And, and I would go back there, and, and, and I learned so much, and they let me lead things with a group of 50, 60 kids on a Sunday morning. I got to lead things, and, and I got to just start learning ministry, right? I went away to college, and one of the first serving opportunities I had in college was leading a weekly service at a nursing home. So every Sunday afternoon, me and I had a girl who had played piano, and she would come in. I had a friend named Rusty who was kind of like crowd control and make sure that if, uh, <laughs> crowd control, <laughs> but you would, you would not believe. And so, so that's, why, that's why when you fall asleep on a Sunday morning, it doesn't phase me. Because now if the whole room falls asleep, then I feel really at home. Um, but, but, you know, it was just, just doing what was in front of me. And it wasn't sexy, and no one knew what we were doing. But we were just, we saw the message, and we said, hey, God, give me a view of how you view this mess. And God, show me how I can respond to this mess. What is my responsibility? What do you want me to do? And over time, over time, the pathway, God took me to different places and gave me different responsibilities. And so don't look down on something and go, well, you don't know how gifted I am, Ken. Start somewhere. Just start somewhere. You never know the difference that you can make in a nursing home. You never know the difference that you can make in a nursery. You never know the difference that you can make sitting in a computer choosing the camera angles that are going to go up on online church where we've got some dear individuals who can't be in this environment. And their only way of watching church is to watch Journey Churches is, is, is to be online. It's so important. It's so vital. And so I'm going to shut up now, and I'm, I seriously want you to pray over this. Father, I thank you for every person in this room right now. I thank you in the name of Jesus that those who are part of our church and those who aren't, God, I pray you would just let them sit at ease and that they wouldn't feel conflicted and they wouldn't feel pressured. But God, for those who are part of Journey Church, I pray that you would speak to them even in this moment of how you want them to be involved and what you want them to do. And maybe it's not something that's on the sheet. Maybe it's something different. God, that, that they would be involved one way or another, God, that they would be actively involved in serving your mission and serving your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.